as we up here, upstairs, go to God's word that we may receive, believe, and respond to God's word. I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 17. Uh, John is the fourth gospel, the fourth book in the New Testament. And so if you open your Bible, you go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, If you find yourself in Acts or Romans or 1 Corinthians, you've gone a little bit too far. You have to go back uh, to John chapter 17. And uh, John, as one of Jesus' gospels, is one of Jesus' teachings. And in this particular part in the Gospel of John, Jesus is um, coming to his disciples, and this is called the closing discourse. And a big part of that is these are his last words of instruction. This is his uh, last opportunity uh, to invest in his disciples, and there's so much that's about to happen that they don't understand. Um, and yet this, this closing discourse is very wordy in some ways, and it's repetitive in others. And so if, if you start to, to get maybe stuck or lost, uh, just try to pay attention to, to what is Jesus trying to explain. Um, and we'll kind of go through it as we go. But if you need a little bit of a roadmap just of context of where we have been, um, last week we began a five-week series as, as we uh, continue to enjoy and live into our space, but also um, continued uh, giving and capital campaign commitments to, to pay off the debt that we carry. Um, and so the, we want to, at North Holland, seek to do the right project for the right reasons, to do this with the right timing. This is accomplished by the right commitments and the right gifts. And so last week, Um, We started with right project, and now today we talk about what does it look like to do things with the right reasons. Last week with the right project, we were in the book of Acts, and we're simply reminded that the right project is one that leads the church in the same thing that the church has been doing since the beginning of the church, which is dedication to the apostles' teaching, to scripture, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And now today as we read from John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26, My priming question as you read this text is, just how important is unity? How much does unity matter? So as we receive God's word, as we hold that question before us, let's pray together for the blessing of God's Holy Spirit. God, we come to you. We ask that you unite our hearts together as a congregation And that as each individual, you unite our hearts to your word, that we may receive it, that we may dwell in it, that we may richly abide in your presence, and that your written word may be a way, an entry point, by which we come into living in unity with you, the living word. So God, open our hearts, open the parts of our lives that need to be given over to you, Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we may read your word as living and active. And this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. John 17, verses 20 through 26. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us 
so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you were reading along, hopefully you you kept up with the different times that Jesus is talking about uh, them, um, talking about us, talking about himself, talking about God. Um, if you were, were looking up here, you notice that I like have to mime all of this um, by action because um, it helps me place what Jesus is talking about, who he's talking about. Just how important is unity, though? Did you hear words of unity in that text? And, and this, comes, this is part of a threefold prayer where Jesus began in the first few verses of this chapter to pray for his glorification that he would be glorified in all that is done. And also then that Jesus prays for his own glorification, but then he prays for his disciples, that they may share in his word, that they may share in his glory. And then Jesus prays for all believers. And this, since we weren't there when Jesus spoke these words, this prayer is both, we're both for the disciples' prayer and also for all believers, Because this part of Scripture begins by saying, my prayer, this is Jesus talking in verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone, but I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's every single one of us who believes. We believe because someone else shared with us the message of Jesus Christ. Jesus, in John 17, 2,000 years ago, was praying for us that we might believe through the message that was shared, through the gathering of disciples that we call the church. And Jesus also is praying for us that, that we are participants, that we are called as Christ's ambassadors to share the message that we have received of God's love for us, of the glorification of God's Son, that God sent his Son into the world to die for our sins, to give us the promise of eternal life, to show it what it is to live life most fully. This is something that we now participate in, of sharing that same message that we have received. And Jesus was praying for us to be able to share that well. So just how important is unity in the way Jesus talks about it in John 17? Jesus says some surprisingly strong things, and and it might be something that we almost slip past, but but to dwell in the word is to make sure that we read carefully, that that we embrace the meaning, not just what the words say, but, but what meaning is Jesus getting at? And what is so striking about John 17 
is that Jesus, as God the Son, is comparing our unity as a church to his unity with God the Father. Jesus, God the Son, is comparing our unity to his unity with God the Father. Now, we believe, and we confess this in the Apostles' Creed, that we believe in in the Trinity, God in three persons, three persons, one essence, this, this mystery of who and how God is. But, but the Trinity is inseparable. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all work together. A great word to describe that is perichoresis. And that's a complicated word because it's a complicated concept, and no analogy is perfect. And so if you want to discuss the perichoretic nature of the Trinity, you can read some books or talk to Pastor Audrey or, or Jed or um, our, our interns have returned safely back from their intercultural trips. You can talk to, to them about that. Um, and Pastor Audrey is geared up for this. But Jesus is making a comparison with his own unity with God the Father, with our unity as believers. This is striking and incredible and also reflects a very high and holy calling. In John 17, 21 and 22, the second and third verses of the passage that we read, Jesus says this, and if you want to follow my my hand motions, you can. Otherwise, open your Bibles and, and read them. Praying that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, May they also, may they also be in us, as if we are, if we are participating, if we are brought up into the life of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May they also be in us, that the world, the whole world, may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. So in Jesus' prayer for glorification. Jesus is glorified from God the Father, but now Jesus is praying that I have given them, the church, the gathering of disciples, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, that they may be one as we are one. Are we one? This is an incredibly high calling of unity that that should be wrestled with and embraced and and carefully paid attention to just what does this mean? That they may be one, that they, the church, may be one as we are one, as the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. This, This is incredible. And the way Pastor Audrey framed confession and assurance is kind of the same thing. This is a joy, and, and, and this also really gets our heart's attention. What does that mean for us? This has has been a call to unity over the last few millennia. And maybe at at a local and personal level, what does this mean for us here today, January of 2019 at North Holland Reformed Church? Well, for one, if we're to be united with one another in fellowship, as the Apostles' teaching directs us towards, We need to be united with Christ. It should start, and in fact, necessarily starts, with seeking unity in Jesus Christ, where we find the ways in which God has blessed and equipped us, and as we pay attention to the areas of our life that are still being transformed into the likeness of Christ. Without our unity to Christ, we have no hope of unity to one another. 
And our unity with one another also comes from the desire to share the message of God's good news with each other. Even people who have been in church their whole lives, however long your life has been thus far, that we sometimes need to be reminded of the good news. That we still come weekly to confess and receive assurance. That we still come to worship the God of grace. It means that we need to be united with Christ individually to lend itself to the corporate unity of the body that we may be one as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. And as we think about the last couple of years and the years ahead, as we think about doing the right project for the right reasons, we're reminded by Scripture that the right project for the right reasons should bring people together in unity. If we're doing it for the right reasons, it will bring us together. The right project will help us devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, and to prayer. The right reasons are shown if it brings us together in unity as one. There was a prayer offered at almost every single building action team meeting. Before we committed to anything, when we were just in the process of of looking at what this could turn into, as we were getting um, some consultation, as we were looking at at architectural mock-ups, before we pulled the trigger on anything, there was an echoing prayer over a period of a year shared at building team meetings and consistory. God, bring us together for this. And if this project is going to divide the church then stop us in our tracks. I heard that over and over again. Because we don't want to compromise unity. Dissensions and factions are listed in in Galatians as, as the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. That things that divide us should be very, very cautioned against. Now, there's some difference here. It doesn't mean that we don't have conflict It doesn't mean that we're afraid to have our own opinions and differences. It doesn't mean that we're afraid to disagree. Because unity is not the same thing as conformity. But does it compromise our unity? Does it it split us up and divide us? Does it create competing voices of, are you on my team or are you on my team? Or are we one together, working together towards one goal? Then our questions, even our concerns, our cautions, are contributing to the whole of the group, not dividing us, not splitting us apart. We live in an incredibly polarized time. We are as divisive and reactive in society and culture here in the U.S. as, well, I would say as we could ever be, but we could be proven wrong this week. You never know what the next thing is that that gets us all worked up against each other. Whether it be a political statement or a commercial, whatever the case may be, we are agitated people. In a polarized and divided time, the church, following the words of Jesus, has an even higher and holy calling to be one as God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. That that unity even with different people who have different thoughts, different perspectives, that unity together is actually an incredible witness. Now, unity is not conformity. 
It's not a majority that has to silence the minority so that we can move on. And, and whether you're with us or not, we're, we're moving right ahead. That's not unity. That kind of becomes a forced, a forced conformity. And, and unity is not necessarily just consensus. Consensus when we all vote the same way, uh, when we all agree on something. Now, consensus and unity have a relationship with each other. If you have a completely split vote on something, you're probably not very united. But unity and consensus are more like a Venn diagram. Those two circles that overlap, they have some distinctions, um, and they also do come together. We had incredibly high consensus on this project. When I got to share at a classes meeting what our vote was on when we voted on if we were going to do the project or not, to say that the vote was 95% yes. It was like a church miracle. Everyone's like, no one ever votes with 95% consensus. That's incredible. There was high consensus. And the amount of participation that was drawn into this was also incredibly high. And these are signs of consensus, external signs that hopefully point towards an internal unity. Consensus can reflect towards unity. And I still have the ballot with 95% written on it. I keep it in my office as a reminder to celebrate the unity that we had, but also as a reminder to continue to cherish and foster and live into the unity that Jesus called us to live into. Unity is not a series of compromises to try to make everyone happy because too many series of compromises actually leaves no one happy. But unity is when we are brought together. Common cause, common purpose, different opinions, different ideas, sure. But at the end of the day, are we all playing on the same team? So we think about the original rationale when we first unveiled this banner. Reach out to let your light shine before others because Jesus told us to be salt and light. We talked about benefits of hospitality, youth, and mission. And as we think about unity, as we understand that concept, as we pay attention to the things that Jesus is telling us to pay attention to, I'd like you to think about physical hospitality as it relates to spiritual unity. Now, I have a sign here that is also now up on the screen. Does anyone know where I got this sign from? Anybody? Bueller? Right off the side of the church. This was on the office on the, the outside facing east, right, right on uh, the office side of the church. And the arrow then, of course, pointed south because if you came in from the New Holland, if you came in on the New Holland driveway, you might not actually see the car, the old carport that was behind the back. It wouldn't be visible from that entrance. So this sign directed us around the corner. There's something interesting about this sign that really makes it one of a kind. And some of you have already picked this out. Um, have already noticed it, and some are maybe scratching your heads and now wondering. It has a typo on it. Accessible is spelled wrong. It's access-able, which actually conceptually works really well, and that might be even how you say it, uh, but it's spelled incorrectly. It's van accessible. That's an I, not an A, to, sell, to spell accessible correctly. Easy to spell, hard to say. This sign's been here for a while. 
Um, it's been here the entire time I've been here, and I did text Pastor Josh Van Lewen, my predecessor, um, who was here six and a half years before me, and he said he was here the whole time he was here too. So kind of with a bit of, uh, with a bit of humor and ability to laugh at ourselves, we've had a typo on the east side of our building for like a decade. And we can laugh at ourselves about that. And also, we'll remember, okay, let's be really careful in the future. But I think part of why we wouldn't have noticed this, although I've had three people note to me from the time I started, three people have noted to me, did you know that sign is spelled wrong? But only three out of a few hundred over the course of about five years. And part of why we wouldn't notice this sign and its beautiful typo, which is why I'm going to keep this sign forever, Um, because I just love this kind of stuff, and I'm a little bit of a pack rat. Um, But it's a chuckle, because most of us wouldn't notice it, because we wouldn't need to look for it. If you're familiar with this place, you would already know where the accessible entrances are, notwithstanding occasionally when a door isn't working correctly, still tweaking some of those hardware things. But also, if you don't have any accessibility needs, you wouldn't be looking for these signs. You wouldn't notice them. If you don't need them, the only time you notice these is when you're mad because that's the closest parking spot at Meyer, and you have to park further away. Well, celebrate that you can walk the whole distance. Leave this for somebody else. We don't look for these signs if we don't need them because there's nothing holding us back from being accessible, from being here, from being able to belong, from being able to participate in worship. Uh, growing up and still to this day, a good friend of mine has muscular dystrophy. And once I got my license and started driving the van that that Brian rode in, I suddenly had to pay attention for these signs in a whole different way. It was a lens that I had never worn before until Brian and I would go out together. We don't look for these signs if we don't need them. Nothing holds back our participation or our accessibility. I would make a case that our unity reflects accessibility to Christ. Our unity reflects accessibility to Christ. And I had to triple check that I spelled that right. (laughs) That would just be a painful irony. And I could laugh at that too, but here's why. From the Old Testament, when God revealed himself, different folks along the way, to when worship of the one true God was, was founded and explained, to the New Testament when Jesus Christ is born into the world, but we celebrated this Christmas, one of the biggest changes, to, to paint with broad brushstrokes here, and, and theologians who like words like perichoresis can critique this all day long, but one broad brushstroke of what changed was accessibility to Christ, accessibility to God through Christ. Consider that there was different ways in which you had to take step-by-step to approach God in the Old Testament. These are meant to be holy, reverent traditions to teach us to love and worship God. But Jesus Christ brings accessibility to God in a whole new way. That's why at his death, the temple veil was torn from top to bottom, as if from heaven to earth, God himself was tearing the veil to say that the barrier between the Holy of Holies, God's presence, And the people was no more. That there was full accessibility to God through Jesus Christ. 
that instead of all of the more complicated formularies that were given in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, we are told twice in Luke and Acts, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you are saved. The access to God was increased and the unity was possible because we could approach God together. We could approach God together. That, that the Apostle Paul explains in Galatians, there is neither Greek nor Hebrew, slave or free, male nor female. None of these matter because we are all one in Christ. We all have accessibility to God through Jesus Christ. And that John in his prayer keeps saying that the glory that God the Father gave to Jesus the Son is given to us and that, that this is available for all who come to believe. This is unity. And our accessibility to come together to worship God, in spirit, we all share that accessibility. That wherever we are, we can worship God. We can gather with believers anywhere to worship God. But here, in this place, for our occasions of worship, to celebrate baptisms, to celebrate weddings and professions of faith, to gather together to celebrate a life of faith at a funeral, this needs to be accessibility-oriented, physically, to reflect the accessibility that we have spiritually. And so doesn't it make sense that our physical space should reflect the access to come here to worship God, even though God's presence is everywhere? But our accessibility here should say something about the accessibility to God that we believe in. Our unity our ability to gather together is what we're after here. Hence, elevators, open spaces, doing things to make sure that, that no one is excluded or can't be gathered together. It's one of the simple yet spiritually profound ways in which we live out what we believe. We make things accessible to reflect that all can be united here in this place because we believe that all can be united to Christ. I know this is a lot of up here kind of thinking. And so maybe we need to ground this just a little bit as we think about unity, as we think about it not just as conformity, not consensus, but unity to Christ and unity to one another. I think to figure out how this unity reflects accessibility to Christ that I might need a few volunteers um, you won't have to say anything. Zach, I love it. I can count on you. Zach, can you stand up? Um, did I see Eric? Great. Eric, you stand up. Um, need a couple more. Larry, great. Um, who else? Gala, perfect. Uh, maybe one more. Well, maybe two more. Anybody on this side want to play? It'll be fun. Trinity? Um, yes, you got it. Please stand. And let's see, maybe one more over here on this aisle. Um, I'm going to pick on somebody if I don't see a hand. Oh, Kyle Vandenbosch. Oh, I saw you. So, <laughs> Okay. So, you are all part of the church, right? You're gathered here. You had no accessibility issues getting here. Now, here you are to worship together. Um, but you need to be unified, right? You need to be together. You need to be one. 
just as God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. So I want you to reflect that unity uh, by paying careful attention to my instructions. Uh, so, uh, um, Kyle, would you just um, take the quickest way you can over to the aisle? Because I, I need to get you closer. You're not very united with Larry yet. Oh, hey, 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 wait, wait, wait. Don't, 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 don't just step over people. That's mean. That's rude. What are you doing? I know, I know, but I didn't, I didn't mean you to, like, step over people. People matter. We're the church. We care about people. Uh, so we've got we to figure out something different here because I want you to be united with them, but, but I don't want you to just bowl over people, even if it is your brother. Uh, let's see. Um, um, maybe, uh, Trinity, could you, could you come to the aisle? Perfect. That's good. Stay right there. Okay, good. You guys are pretty close together. Uh, Sarah, maybe you can, maybe can you come a little bit closer to Zach? If it will not sacrifice any of the love and affection you have for each other, then yes. Okay, good. Thank you. But way to be thoughtful about it. Okay, um, now can you come a little forward to Zach? That'd be great. Okay, good. Now you're to Zach. Oh, wait. Now, now you just messed this up, though, because you're... You're t- well, you're close to Zach. You're, you're unified with Zach, but now you just left Eric, Larry, and Kyle in the dust. So maybe go back. Oh, wait, but now if you go back away further from them, well, well, now this is just a mess because then you're leaving Trinity out. And Trinity, I mean, you're like exemplifying the whole point of what we're getting at just by your name. So good job. <laughs> Number one participant. I can't figure out how to bring you all together without at some point you're either bowling over other people because your convictions become more important than the people that we have convictions about, or I can't get you closer together without drawing you further apart from one another. If one of you moves towards one other person, you'll move yourself further apart from everyone else. I've got one other idea. Being kind to those around you Kyle, thanks for playing. I know I gave you a hard time, but you helped deliver one of my points. We've got the cross here. The cross is what unites us. It's in the cross that we confess that Jesus Christ died for our sins, rose again, offering us eternal life and the promise of salvation. This is what unites us. So how about you all, whether you come down a side aisle or a center aisle, why don't you all take five steps towards the cross. And even as Kyle maybe takes a different way, he's still getting closer. Why don't you all take five steps closer to the cross again? You're all growing together. You're not growing apart. And let's just do five more. And you can come up on stage. doing a good job. At this point, no one's getting further apart from each other anymore. So why don't you come the rest of the way towards the cross? This was the way to bring all of us together. And we're not united because we have every opinion the same. There's not a forced conformity, and it's not reliant just on consensus. But here at the cross, we are united as one. 
This is the team that we're on. This is the symbol of our unity, is that we all believe in the cross. Unity in Christ is that unity which brings us from all of our different walks of life together at the feet of Jesus. Unity is that very, that very act of the Holy Spirit that unites young and old, that brings men and women, that brings us, regardless of any statuses that we carry, it brings us all together here. And it wasn't because of what we did, but it was because of what Christ did for us, that he gathers us together here at the cross, that we're not getting further apart from one another, that we're not pushing over other people to get our way, but that we gather here as a picture of unity through all generations, through different walks of life, and that it all, we're all journeying on this life to get closer to Christ, but we do that together too. My prayer, just that we're unified here, is that such a project as that is the type of one that brings people together here to the cross. Through all the different ways in which we live out that gospel calling. And it's not just the building, but it's gathering together at the cross like you did. It's gathering together for prayer just like the early church did and just like we do today. These are the signs of our unity in Christ that bring us together. So as we seek to do the right project for the right reasons, that we let our unity and accessibility bring us together to God in Christ, let this be the picture of what brings us together, that we live out God's love for us, that we receive the very glory that God the Father gave to God the Son, that God the Son gives to us, that we can shine a picture of unity for a world that needs a sign and witness of unity. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you for participating, everyone. Everyone can head back to their seats, except for Larry Van Rie, because he's going to lead us in prayer.